this week, our monthly webinar with you and the crew. We're answering all the questions you could possibly have and more. Construction is the world's oldest industry, but spends the least amount of money on innovation. We realized people outside the construction industry didn't typically associate it with technology like virtual reality, apps, and robotics. We started the content crew. Each week, we bring our listeners the latest in content news and interview the minds behind the technological innovation that's changing the way we build. So strap in, enjoy the ride, and geek out. It's content crew time live. Zoom webinar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. End of July, July 30th. This is being recorded on Thursday, July 30th. With me, Mr. Josh Bone. What's going on, Mr. Bone? Brother, life is good. I'm starting, I guess, to kind of balance out this whole pandemic thing and just just trying to figure it out still. But I, I think I've come a long way uh, of the crying and, and, and closing myself in a closet <laughs> from the kids over the last uh, month or so. I've kind of come full circle now. I kind of feel the same way, you know. It's like a, you you settle into your new rhythm and you figure out how to do things with the mask on all the time, and you know you just adjust the uh, adjust the fun schedule for sure. But um, it's it's good good to see you as always. Of course, Josh leading innovation over there at NECA and also leading the Electri Foundation, which has been That's really right. keeping you busy over there. So we'll we'll definitely be talking a lot more about that in just a little bit. Also with us, the Mountain Man himself refuses to get a haircut, Mister Jeff Sample. Good to see you, Shagadopolis. It's good to see you, and thanks to Brett Young already for getting me. I gotta just call that out. He texted me, told me I had something in my hair, got me to move off screen earlier. So I love having you guys on. So Brett. Thanks a lot, as always, screwing with me. I, you know, I'm having fun out here in the mountains. It's kind of nice that we can still do what we can do. I'm grateful for that, being able to get out on the bike last night. I think I sent a couple pictures to people, but I, I try not to do too much of that so it doesn't get too bad. But uh, yeah. Look at me you on know, the bike again. This. Look at me on Look the bike again. <laughs> Look at me on the bike again. Well, Look at me uh, at the top of a mountain. I, I know. Again, I'll tell you this, though, Jeff. I never get tired of those, especially the one you sent me an animation of your whole ride, which is a that was a really cool tech that I hadn't seen before. We have that for flying. I just didn't know they had it for bike riding. Super cool to be able to actually see a video of your ride. It's, it's, it's awesome. called Relive, if anybody's interested. Yeah. It's uh, Relive. You can hook it up to your Garmin or others, and it tracks you. And what's cool is you take pictures, and it actually, uh, along the way, just out of your camera, when it builds it, it looks for those, oh, and it awesome. posts them where they were through the metadata. <laughs> and, you know, I thought that might be cool in construction someday, just saying. But ultimately, it's super cool because it rebuilds your ride and you take all those photos with your friends and it creates that cool little deal. That's fun. Yeah. And, and also with us, again, from North Georgia, I, I don't say Atlanta anymore because it's, it's North Georgia. Mr. Robert McKinney, what is going on still with the fantastic hairdo? Loving it. You know, some of us avoid the barber. Other of us embrace the barber, you know, mask up. <laughs> I've gone and it's only been me in there. Yeah, I had to get rid of the boring daddy hair and playing around with it. So it's it's kind of like jumping the shark, right? My daughter loves it. My wife hates it. And I think you guys all know the game I'm playing. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Before we continue, just remember, you can never miss an episode for all you listening and all of our live attendees by having all of them sent straight to your email inbox. Just text contact to 66866. If you're live here on the show on uh, Zoom webinar, you can just ask questions through the chat panel. But of course, if you uh, want to text it in, 
you can uh, absolutely text the text line. Of course, if you're listening to this later, you can text the text line too because we're going to do this every month. We're going to do a webinar with the crew every month. We're not doing the road show this year. So we decided that uh, in lieu of every month for one of our episodes, we're going to have a live uh, chat with the crew, do this live discussion, take topics, have a lot of fun talking about it. That's 979-473-9040, 979-473-9040. And uh, we're going to have some fun with that for sure. Again, we really appreciate you being on today and uh, having some fun. So before we get started with our discussion today, I spoke with Roger Yarrow, CEO of TrueLook, about their construction cameras. Listen in on it now. And I'm here today with Roger Yarrow, the General Manager and Chief Operating Officer at TrueLook. Roger, thank you for joining us uh, for the show today. What was the the original premise between behind the founding of TrueLook, and and what got you to to where you're doing today with construction cameras and and much much more? Well, uh, you know, we, we started, uh, TrueLook started as an entertainment and media company when uh, webcams were unique and special. If you had a big event, uh, any kind of sporting event or anything interesting going on, you would want a webcam on it. And that was a big deal. From there, we evolved into the construction specific industry because, you know, there was a very special need in construction to document, see, monitor, and collaborate on a job site. Cameras are everywhere these days, but on the job site, there's so much more they can do. Uh, we, we picture a future where cameras are on every worker for safety, they're on every vehicle. And so what we're seeing is there's a need to make sure you can see on the ground, make sure everybody's safe, make sure everything's documented. Uh, so there's a lot of utility for cameras on the job site. And we're just we're just at the cusp of this exciting time period where you can start to see those technologies coming into play now. Let's chit chat. We had a lot of questions come in and our first topic today is voice assistance and chat. So I know that all of us, all of the crew, has had a lot of fun with their voice assistants. I got, uh, I bought Alexa first month it was out. I don't know, maybe two months after it came out. Use Siri the first day they released it. We, we've been working with voice assistants for a while. We've seen construction software companies rolling out support for voice, and we've seen some really interesting data on voice assistance and chat in general, not just voice chat, but text chat. We've seen our uh, friend and guest on the podcast, Matt Edwards with Nifty AI, do some really, really nifty things with with a chat interface to Procore. We've seen some folks like NoteVault who just uh, had an exit event, they just sold, but NoteVault do uh, a lot around capturing voice and transcribing it. They, they claim through their own data, and they have the data to support it, that people tend to provide 10 times as much information when they speak than when they write, which is pretty impressive. If you're looking for more information reports. So you have all these things that we've seen from voice reports to a voice text interaction with the application. So actually voice control of the application to really intelligent voice assistants that can do things for you. 
this is a broad question, but I think it's really relevant to talk about with construction because we've seen people coming into the construction space and doing more and more of this. SmartVid.io, Josh Kanner, they transcribe voice and they, they index it to the frame in the video where the person was speaking. So if they're taking video, so there's a lot of cool things around voice. I want to start with Josh because you, you now lead innovation at one of the largest subcontractor trade groups in North America. And certainly the labor that's working there has to do a lot of recording of what they did. They have to do a lot of voice interaction. They have to wear gloves a lot. So, you know, typing on a touch screen is not exactly optimal. And so there's some, there's some good things on voice. I want you to just, just get us started by talking about what you're seeing with voice interaction, voice transcription with your members and with the construction community at large. Well, what we've been looking into the most right now is the term chatbot, because so much of this needs to be hands-free and you've got so much information. And one of the things we've been looking at here is how can we measure more at the face of the tool? So much is happening today. One of our research teams told us that 89% of the decisions that a worker makes, a foreman, anyone out in the field makes today, that we have no visibility into 89% of the decisions we make. We're that far on the industrialization scale away from other industries that have industrialized that we don't have visibility into 90%, basically, of the decisions they make every single day at the, at the face of work. So, we look at chatbots being something that can help automate this process and capture real-time work because what, what I think we can start to do is if we can start to capture a lot of this information, we can use it in a way that makes sense, natural language, right? I think it can help us long-term for the life cycle of the building, adding a lot of value for the trade contractors because this is, I think this is where the genesis of the digital twin can be, where we're thinking about this and how can it be a form of communication that comes from the design expectations and design intent? Think we're, you know, as far as inspections and signing off on work, how can we say, hey, listen, we need this information. We're looking right now, these chatbots, we're looking for this data. It's not in there right now. So how can we get this information and fill this out in a simple way that's hands-free, that it integrates into the workflow? I think that's the beautiful thing about all of these voice assistants. It's such an integrated workflow. You, you think about people, process, technology. Man, that, that voice assistant is something so simple and easy to integrate into our workflow. So for us, that bridging that gap to the field, I think that's where this voice assistant can help us collect so much data and we can measure performance. Yeah, and I, 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 this, this is, a, and I'm really glad that our listener texted this in because as the as voice assistants are getting better and more intuitive, I'm using them a lot more. <laughs> I mean, it's just that simple, right? I, I, I use I use Siri all the time to respond to text messages. I use Siri all the time to control the phone, open applications, send messages, send notifications. It does allow me to have hand free hands free computing. You know, the combination of of Siri with with CarPlay too, Josh, has been a really nice uh, innovation. So you're starting to see safety. Yeah, safety. And you think about where else do we need operators of equipment to be safe? Hmm, construction, right? There's a case to be made for integrating these voice assistants in with the vehicles that they're in, right? So that they can they can find out what their next ta- what next task is, next step is, you know, voice control they have. There's there's some really great uh, great examples out there. Jeff, I know you spent a lot of time with subcontractors as well working on this. What what, what are your thoughts and and what have you seen over over there at Esub and in the area of voice control and voice assistance? Well, I mean, I think you hit it before that somebody in the field, when they go to write something down or text something or 
type it into a computer, they always begin to start editing yourself, right? You think about it yourself. If you're not a great typer, the first thing you're going is I'm not going to give it all that data. And so, you know, we at the crew always like to go into the, like the Uber, Amazon, you know, Alexa, I want to tell her to do nine things and Siri to do nine things and shortcut into other things to start. But really, you know, on this little sucker, if you, every time you go to use the keyboard, there's a little voice function there. And if you just click the voice function, it works and it starts to learn you. That's the beauty of these algorithms is they're learning your speech patterns so that they get better and better. And so it's funny. And when I demo eSub, I I actually show that talk to text feature and it's learned me over time and learn to use, you know, change order and learn to use these searchable terms that I would love to then be able to have bots and other things that scrape looking for those important things. Like observations are observations, but it's really like, we want to get to the issues, right? Josh, it's that it's that getting to the issue fast. So something that scrapes all day looking for those things and and brings those to your attention would be would be super cool. But I mean, even me who is, you know, I would say I'm a tech optimist and a, but I'm always a little bit behind the curve when it comes to those. Like I went and got the Google Home and I would just ask it for the weather and those kind of things, which and then I started building routines in it. Because, you know, I want to hear my weather. I want to have my podcast. I want to know my news. And the next thing you know, I was like, wait a minute. Think about like a coordination meeting or something you do on a regular. You walk into the trailer and just telling Alexa or Google that you're here and you want to start that and have it bring up the things you need and play the things you need or provide the the access to the things you wanted. And that could be make things go really, really quick. We need to do more with less. And and that's there, but I'm, I'm the guy you always got to start with. So if you're if you haven't played around with this function on your phone, whenever you hit the keyboard, there's a microphone in the bottom left. Yeah. Click it, and you can just talk to it, and it'll create the text. It's not going to be perfect, but over time, it's actually going to learn you, and it's pretty cool. So yeah. for me, there's so much use. Like I mean, the nifty AI thing, dude. I think that's awesome because like part of the problem is getting information as a trade to your general contractor when they want it and remembering to track it shit if that if that thing just hits me and i want to say it great yeah it's interesting you know the uh, nifty is a good example it's not really voice right it's a text and and, it's text. and 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 look you know i saw a lot of poser technology when chatbots first came out that really angered me as a software developer only because they were literally stepping back in time to the very first line of code i wrote in 1991 when i got my hands on a very very old very, very old TRS-80 and AI yeah, to start writing GW basic code. And that's essentially what they created was a text terminal interface where you would, you know, I'm, I'm going to say nine out of 10 chatbots I worked with in, initially were functionally an anti-text terminal interface that you would type in your name and then it would just give you a menu of options and it'd say, hey, do you want to one, two, three, or four? And I'd do one. Okay, do you want to? One, two, three, four. Literally, that's the kind of interface I wrote in 1991 in GW Basic. It was garbage because it takes you forever to work through all the menus. It's it's really slow. And what you're seeing with modern natural language processing is just being able to have a conversation. And Josh, you mentioned the words natural language, which which reminded me of our friends at Dato who are, you know, Jake, Jake is really, really big on natural language. He, he used uh, Amazon Elasticsearch, a natural language search engine, to bring natural language into search. And so I think when you talk about voice assistance, I almost feel like we just need to expand that conversation to natural language, right? Like whether you're typing or talking, can you talk to a machine like you can a human? And what you're seeing with Dato is amazing search results because it brings in context in the sentence. Google is not a natural language search engine. Ask Jeeves was. 
right? Mm-hmm. And so, so Josh, that that you know, when, when you said natural language, I think you kind of keyed in on that. Yeah, you know, one of the things I want to say is Fieldvox is no longer around. But one day I told you guys, hey, we're getting on a podcast that an automated attendant just called me, uh, and it was an AI. I found out later on who it was. They just set me up because I was looking at some technology. They got my information, and they just sent me a, hey, your daily, are you ready for your daily report? And it was Fieldvox again. They're not around, but they would ask me a series of questions, and I would just answer. And they said you could time this on the way home so that it calls you on your ride home. So it's still fresh in your mind. And as you're driving home, you fill out your daily report, just talking to an AI, asking you questions, and then it sends you the daily report you approve. It was a, a fascinating idea. Yeah. What's really great about that, and it's similar to Nifty, because Nif- Nifty will text you too, is it's prompted voice, right? So you're not having to remember to call in. It's it's calling you and saying, hey, time for the report. Let's go. Are you ready? It yeah. asks, are you ready? I'll call you back in 15. Would it, you like me to call you back in 15 minutes? <laughs> really yeah. cool. It is really cool. And it, and it look, people don't like filling reports out. It's just a thing, right? It, it, people just don't like filling out reports. And so we've got to help them get better at that. Rob McKinney, I know you spent a lot of years in the field and you spent a lot of years of safety and dealing with safety too. You've got to have an opinion here around how safety and voice and text and natural language interact. I think it'd be amazing for safety to be able to, again, what Jeff's talking about, say, okay, Google or hey, Siri, and start a safety observation, a safety citation, a toolbox talk. There's lots of ways that you could do it easily. It's interesting that if you think about it, Brett just put something in the chat asking Josh, is the number of untracked decisions a problem of tracking decisions or not planning the work resulting in too many last minute decisions? Mm. And I would wager we're all on the same page, right? We all know how work is planned in our industry. So yes, it leads to lots of last minute decisions. But what if we use this technology faster, better up front? Because we all know it, right? I make jokes about we, we print out these amazing tapestries we call schedules and hang on the wall at the beginning of a job and then act like it's all going to happen, but things change. So why not use this technology in a way like Jeff, that you were talking about? What if that project manager or superintendent can walk into their officer trailer and ask for what are all the open issues for me? It would be, what are the open safety issues that need to be corrected? What are the open RFIs? When you start meetings and having a cycle like that, that would be amazing to really go back. Cause James, to your original point, when I was doing safety, it was mind numbing to write up all this paper And then it moved to Excel. And then we had triplicate forms and digital forms. We had all these open issues documented everywhere to try and show, oh, oh, we're doing our job. Yeah, we're doing our job at finding stuff. We're not doing anything to close it because nothing was managing it. But what if you had something so easy to say, do I have any open safety hazards I need to correct? Are there any injured employees that need to go back to work? Yeah. Let's be honest, though, guys. You talk about what Brett's question is here. Is is the number of untracked decisions a problem? of tracking decisions or not planning the work. Okay, let's plan the work. Are you going to tell somebody how to bend conduit? Are you going to tell them how to cut? Are you going to tell them what we don't know today? We don't know what's the safest. We don't know what's the benchmark of productivity. We're, we're not industrialized enough to know that this is the best workflow. This is how you handle the material. You know, I think we're going to try to figure some of those things out in time. Deep How, have you guys seen Deep How? Mm-hmm. Deep How, oh. you take it and you, you just t- put on your phone and you go with your phone and you document a process and it keeps a time it, and it takes it and breaks it all down every single action. So what we want to try to do is start to take some of the best foremen, the best gen- some of the best general foremen, some of the best superintendents, those that do the task really, really well. Look at how they do a very specific task so that we can start to plan this out. Today, let's be honest, the schedule says uh, underground. 
it doesn't doesn't say you got to go back and look at the shop drawings and understand what you're installing and how was it prefabbed or is it stick by stick and how are you going to do it well what we've got to do is we've got to look at not only the hard like time and cost but what's the safest what's the most you know reduces the most weight there's a lot of intangible things there so we're looking at deep how yeah and hopefully we can take that and and use that process. Yep, there you go. Yeah, deephow, D-E-E-P-H-O-W.com. We're really interested in how we can use that to document very, very detailed types of work and determine set, set benchmarks. Yeah, that's an interesting solution, Josh. And I, I'm I have never been exposed to DeepHow, so I'm going to spend some time looking at this. And that you out there in listener land, if you guys can check that out, I did have an interesting question that came in through Q and A here on the webinar. Do you feel COVID changes are driving chatbots or similar at a, a pace faster than originally considered? I'm going to say I believe that all digital solutions are being driven faster than previous pace. So that would also apply to chatbots. Any method of getting off of handwriting on paper, which we all know is still very prevalent in report writing and and documentation. So any methodology that allows them to move to digital, uh, to reduce physical contact, to reduce having to be around other people and touch physical things has certainly accelerated. And from the construction tech companies I've spoken to, their sales lines have been lighting up if they have to deal with digital products. So I, I would say they have. Jeff, Jeff, what are your thoughts on this one? Oh, it, it, I think it's an absolute. In fact, I was looking at a, a bunch of technology reviews from MIT recently on just that. and It's emptying call centers. The pandemic has just done that. That's We can't, I mean, call centers are one of the worst things you could possibly have where you're back to back to back and yep. you're talking into a phone. Like it just, it's not possible. So they're emptying them out. And you know, it's just not realistic to be able to fire up all those people at home and work remote, given the strains and the inability, but they just weren't prepared. And instead of trying to get prepared in all the money that's going to take, and the fact that it's probably on its way out, chatbots swooped in and are really taking over. And, you know, I, I think there's this, again, there's this like misnomer that chatbots are, are a bad thing. And, you know, that they don't understand what humans are. When you call and you want to like call your doctor and get an appointment, you just want the appointment. Like it's really not about talking to the person on the other end of the phone and having a connection with him or her and then getting to your doctor and getting your, you just want your appointment. So if you went right through and got to the automated chatbot, got you or the not chatbot, but the automated AI got you to it or the chatbot, if you were doing it online, which would be even better and you just got your appointment, you're happy. Yeah. So it's really the means, it's the ends, not the means. And I think we get caught up in that sometimes. And it's just, it, it baffles me that that's where we are, you know? And I, I wanted to throw this in. If you guys haven't used shortcuts on your iPhones yet to start your day when you show up somewhere, yeah. it doesn't, none, none of the applications that exist out there have to have that built in. As long as it's an iOS app, you can create the shortcut to create your routine. So like you can hit the job site and start a bunch of your apps with a single shortcut with your voice and get your day started. So, you know, to, to James's point earlier, none of us like filling out documentation. So if that stuff can be launched and put in front of you, you're, you're much better off to try and, and do it. But yeah. from, a, from a COVID perspective, yeah, there's not anything tech that it hasn't pushed forward. If you're talking remote work, if you're talking this platform, I mean, Zoom has seen a, a thousand percent increase, I'm sure, at yeah. this point. Well, and then, and then a little dip when everybody went, oh, crap, it's not secure. It's going through China. 
There, there's, there's some crazy stuff there. I mean, Teams, by the way, Teams is not lying down and giving up. They're expanding all their multi-video channels, and they're doing some really mm-hmm. cool stuff with Microsoft Teams. We have our interest of time. Next topic. Great, great discussion. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bite off a really big topic here. This is from Johan from Sweden. Yes, we have listeners in Norway, Sweden, Finland, Denmark. We've got, we've got this really great group of listeners over there. So, Johan, you asked a really good question. You can often see one-off successful projects in, a, in the industry where tech and BIM has made a huge impact on productivity, quality, and safety. He said, I'm part of that project like that right now. But how can we scale this success to others in the industry in an easier manner? How do other industries scale successful knowledge? Or is it a hard-coded culture thing in our industry that will take a long time to change? Or can projects implement some kind of project philosophy? He said, James, you've talked about EOS often. Is there something like EOS for construction projects? Greetings, Johan from Sweden. Johan, thank you for texting this in before the webinar and before the episode. I'm going to start again with Josh, in particular, since you have your role at Electri and you, you get into this. I have a lot of thoughts around this. You know, I could talk for two hours about EOS without even stopping because of the impact it's had of having an operating system, having a scalable, replicatable operating system to run JB Knowledge for our 223 people that we have on board right now has made a huge impact to have EOS. I said potentially, and this is in our show notes before, maybe Lean Construction Institute, you know, maybe the construct the construction institute, OS 2.0 efforts. There are there are multiple efforts to try to quantify and systematize construction processes into a replicatable, a successful playbook that you can run every time. And and and, and I, this pains me to bring this up, but this is why Nick Saban is always a contender, because he has a documented, scalable, repeatable process that he can slot new, aid, new, new defensive and offensive coordinators and new players in every year and still have success. So Josh, I'd love to hear your thoughts around an operating system for construction. Yeah, so what what brings us all together? What brings us all together is the contract. And I think the smart contracts, and, and I think we have to go back, who has the ultimate power in setting this up from defining this from the, the inception of we need this job, we need this project to happen, we need to put people in a hospital, we need more beds, whatever it is, it all starts at the contract. And Amanda Kaminell said it with you and Tahira, Last week, every job's a prototype right now. If the contracts could have more consistency around what the expectations are, so much of unfortunately what we're doing today is a contractual obligation. Where most people fail on BIM is they do it to meet a contractual obligation, not for the fact that they're doing it to, to drive off-site construction, not to do it in a way that it's actually going to be constructible. Hey, we did our coordination. Well, that's not at all how you're actually going to build it if you're just doing it for coordination. And that's how, not how you're actually going to build it. That's not doing any good for us. It, you're just trying to meet a contractual obligation. We've got to actually get skin in the game. Too often, we're out there doing certain things to meet a contractual obligation that doesn't really have us aligned. And I think that's something that we have to start looking at is we've got to take some of these projects and, and transfer some of that knowledge from a company level. You've got to think every company has an A team, a B team, a C team, and a D team, right? You go work for a great contractor and you can work with them. And I'll talk to a plumber out in the field. And I'm, Man, I love working with contractor X. They're awesome. You talk to them three years later. No, oh, they suck. They're terrible. They, you know, they, they killed us <laughs> on this job. We, we lost tons of money. Oh, you told me you love them. They've, they've lost it. I said, no, it's 
The problem is you've got probably their B team or their C team, or maybe even your D, their D team on that job. You can't maintain that, that level. So the only place we can start is, is aligning ourselves in the contracts. That's the only place that I can see that we, we've got to be realistic about our expectations. We can't just mandate BIM because BIM doesn't need to be done on every single job. It does not need to happen on every job. It's says, not practical. Says BIM, not to the bo- says BIM to the bone. I mean, BIM yes. to the bone says it. Yeah. It's not. BIM is not effective on every job. If we can get better at it, maybe we can do more jobs with it. But it all starts with a contract in my mind. And it has to come down from the owner setting expectations and not setting us of pitting us against each other contractually to go into our silos and get ready for litigation at some point. So at City of College Station, in my my brief six years there, I, I, you know, you're, you're, you, that's the maximum term you serve at City College Station. And I, it was frustrating because I said six years is not enough to learn about municipal operations. I, I kept telling them we make short-sighted decisions. And, and, and one of them is how municipalities, who are pretty prolific facility owners and builders, right? And how they make contract decisions. And I had to fight a long battle to get us off of hard bid and onto CM at risk. And we went to CMAR for a $36 million city hall and a $28 million police station. And they came in under budget. And there was far less drama, far less trauma. And, you know, but, but I tell you what, it was interesting. Existing contractors in town tried to threaten to sue me and the city because they were old school, hard bid, low bid contractors who made it up on a prolific amount of change orders. And they knew CMAR was going to be the end of their game. And so you have like two sides, two warring sides. The cities don't see how it could possibly save them money over a hard bid. And you know, the, there's, a, there's a lot of old school contractors that, that they, 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 they've made their, their stake on this. Rob, I see you nodding your head. Well, I've seen a few boats named change order for a reason. <laughs> Josh, I know a lot of mountain cabins and a lot of beachfront property that was purchased after big booms. Josh, well, uh, before you go, Josh, I mean, I think there's something to that there, James, and it has a little bit to do. I mean, you got to go past that, right? Voters, and you know, we see this over and over. You know, if you got a ten million dollar project, they're going to vote it through. What we don't hear about is the change order that makes it, you know, a, from a ten million dollar project to a twenty eight million dollar project. And that's a trick to get some of that through. Like there's a little bit of dinking and dunking that that those guys are doing there. We know they're doing it. And and so, you know, it's that transparency, Josh, of like, well, you know, whiff them, you know, good old Nathan, you know, what's in it for me? Well, I want to get this bill passed, but if I tell you how much it's really gonna cost, you're not gonna do it. But you're not gonna leave a building halfway up. You're gonna approve the change orders to get that done, right? Yep. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, so let's 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 talk about operating systems though for a second. Like what what who has the playbooks for this? You know, because that that's at the end of the day, like I always wanted to improve my business, but when I found the book Traction and then got on board with EOS, it gave me a playbook to follow, and I was able to follow it. You, you look at you know how do we replicate success? So certainly the contract, Josh, and I'll I'll absolutely agree with you. If the contracts are screwed up, if everybody's pitted against each other, it doesn't matter how good your playbook is if the rules for the field suck. You know, <laughs> right? I mean, yep. if if you had crappy NCAA rules, then Nick Saban would have a tough time winning no matter what because you you, yep. you have a crappy crappy rule book. Jeff and James, let me say this: you can have hard bid. You can have hard bid on your awnings. Put that out there. Hard bid your awnings. But if you're doing a data center, don't do hard bid on your electrical systems. That is, <laughs> you know, sixty percent of the project cost. Let, let's be realistic. Every job is different. 
And you can do some hard bid on some of the jobs. You can do some IPD. You can do some CM at risk. You can do a mix of all of these things. Yeah, Jeff. Uh, well, I got two for you because you know I, I'm an outsourced person, and and I believe in learning, you know, from other people. And there's two groups that we've we've had both of these folks at least come around and talk to us. We had Tannis on, you know, like Trillium Advisory Group is trying to build a structure for companies across the board and teach them how to use the data all the way through and how to effectively implement BIM and VDC and learn from it. I mean, there's other big ones out there that do it too, Josh. And then, you know, we had a gentleman come up to us in Seattle named Stephen Waite, and he started something called Simple 5D. And it's a, it's a platform in which that you can start to utilize his services to help each other out. You know, I think there's, there's ways for you to go out and learn this from other people and learn how to do it effectively. It's hard to learn something new and be effective at the same time. I think that's continually a problem we see in the industry is, is how do I do this and get better at this while still performing? So, you know, there's outsourcing. measured mile, Jeff. There's measured mile. That is a, a, a formula that we could use. The problem sure. is most people don't do their own cost coding. They don't have enough visibility in their business. So if, they, they, if they're not doing cost coding, they're not doing measured mile. If, if we could all at least be talking the same language, how helping us understand if, if you could get measured mile set up as some type of a standard process so that everybody was speaking the same language, it would be the Rosetta Stone that... So a general contractor, when someone made a claim that it was something that we could all understand how they were impacted and, and they could look at it and it made sense to them, the owner made sense. So if there was, if there was a claim and, and there was some, a problem that came about, then listen, it would be so much easier if we had a, a common language that we were using with some like the Eichley formula or any of those kind of things. So. You know, on that note, and I'm going to do a software par- parallel because certainly I exist in the construction world. I also exist in the software world because I build software every day, both custom software and product. And in custom software, it's interesting, Josh, because I can adopt whatever process I want. At the end of the day, my client has a process for how they build software. And this is this is really kind of what the same thing builders have the problem with, right? You can do whatever you want inside your, your construction company if you're a subcontractor, but your GC is going to have their way of doing it. And then the, the owner is going to have their way. And ultimately, the owner is going to dictate take the rules of the, of the field at the end of the day. And so to try and get to Johan's question, because he did ask about EOS, we use EOS to run our business in every way, shape, and form. We have weekly level 10 meetings. We have quarterly planning meetings. We have our vision traction organizer. We have rocks and scorecards and one-year goals and you know, one-year plan, three-year picture, 10-year target. And we've gotten better and better and better at it. And you know, every year we try to really improve how we execute EOS. We do have a playbook and we, we know how. So I can tell you this, even outside of construction, if you put a construction company on EOS, and I've put several of our clients on EOS, it has a materially positive impact on how that construction company operates. Because one of the fundamental t- tenets of EOS is n- documenting your processes using a three-step process documenter and then repeating those documenting processes. What does it matter what, what, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter what industry in you're, you're in. If you set a clear vision, clearly communicate to everybody, have really good meetings where they're not a waste of time and boring, and they have a, a goal. If you have really good meetings, you fix your meetings, and you have really good planning documents, and then you document your processes and execute them consistently, I, I guarantee you, you're going to have more success in that business. And so, so just to answer your question, Johan, 
th- that that is a, a sure thing. The question is, when you document those processes and improve them, what process are you using? Are you going to Lean Construction Institute, learning about pull planning, right? Is that going to be one of your documented processes? And then are you going to use EOS so you can get that adopted and, and rolled out? You almost have to combo. You have to have a process for building, and you have to have a process for running your business. And those are separate things. I think it's important to, to acknowledge that there's the the there's the the building projects themselves, and then there's the business of building, and and so in EOS we call that working in your business, and then working on your business, and those are two separate things. So Johan, you have to have both of those going on. Rob, I know you you, you want to make a comment here. You know something I've been fascinated, I think plays into this. Look at what's happened over the past few months outside of our industry and a whole different industry that we all participate in. Look at the fast food industry. Think about how they work. And we can use two big examples, right? Because there's two very big names that have amazing playbooks, McDonald's and Chick-fil-A. And Chick-fil-A. I've been watching up in my little hometown mm. and down in Georgia and Atlanta, watching how they work in a franchise model would be something very interesting in our industry, right? Because let's think about it. I love construction. I love our contractors. But every contractor, it's their way or the highway. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. That's how I'm going to run my business. And you see a lot of success, but you also don't see... Tremendous success from some people. But when you're in a franchise model, every Chick-fil-A you've probably ever gone to has had basically the same experience, right? I had this conversation. quality food. Yeah. Taste, my pleasure. What my they pleasure. say. My pleasure. Everything they say, my pleasure. Because there's a playbook. And I've watched how they train. And it doesn't matter how many bodies go through the Chick-fil-A five miles from me. It's always the same experience. But what's interesting that I've really noticed, James, the last four weeks between McDonald's and Chick-fil-A. I don't know how they're doing it in Texas, but I would wager you've seen the same thing over here. The playbook has changed for Chick-fil-A even more dramatically. They've set up this whole caravan of tents yeah. for the outside workers. I thought that I wanted to stop the other day because the general manager was running the window and I wanted to be like, hey, I, just two minutes. I'm very curious. Are your profits up or down? That's all I wanted to know because that line hasn't stopped. They can wrap it around their 20 cars deep and five minutes later, you're out. But their workers are under those new awnings. They've got on the sleeves. They've adjusted all these protocols to keep those workers happy. I don't see anyone sitting there, hey, welcome to Chick-fil-A. They're all happy. They're all in misters. <laughs> so they've taken that playbook and made it even better. Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A you, you, you have to study other industries if you want to improve your own, right? You have Absolutely. to. And I'm sure, Josh, you've done a lot of the same thing in studying other industries as you've tried to apply it to the electrical construction business. I love studying Chick-fil-A because their customer service is fanatical. They were the first to the game with masks in my town. They were the first one with masks on. I guarantee you they have the lowest COVID transmission rates. They were the first ones to shut their dining rooms down. They were the first one with masks. They were the first one with intense, the first ones with misters. And and their sales, they've been kicking everyone else in the rear end. I mean, it, they have been just shredding the other places because people still want to eat that chicken. They got to have that chicken, man. And and they're delivering, but they do it by having a very consistent training program, having a very consistent operating manual. And now, mind you, McDonald's is a franchise. Chick-fil-A is not. Chick-fil-A is corporate owned. And True. so Chick-fil-A has a lot more control over all those locations. So I would say if you're going to model a construction company after one of these two, I'd model it after Chick-fil-A because construction companies are multi-site corporate owned. And that's, that's Chick-fil-A. True. Look at how they select their owners in those locations, too. It's not about who can put the most money in a bank account and set it off to the side. It's who is going to invest in that community mm-hmm. and, and be a part of that community and run that business to recruit the type of talent that they recruit. 
Yeah, and Brett Young. Yeah, said, I'm giving up. I'm giving up construction tech, and I'm going for Chick Fil A. Right. Now. Well, it's not business. One, it's not Brett one Young saying it here. Brett Young saying it here. It's, it's about the the most powerful innovation is about the business model, not software, hardware. They use technology to to sub to imp, they integrate technology to make yeah. them better. But it's all about people and process. Yeah, and we did that with with EOS. Right, we built our own EOS software because there was no EOS software when we got started on it. And it, and it's not really about our EOS software. Like it's not about that. We give it away, by the way. We now give it away as a free product. It's called Smart Enterprise, and it's it's available for anybody to use for EOS. It's not about the product. It's about the process. You know, that that it's just a better way of running meetings, a better way of planning. And so I agree with you completely, Brett. I've, I've spent a lot more time focusing on, on business models and process than I have around the exact software products. But software products help enforce those models. And so to be clear, our EOS implementation went way better. And I think lean construction and pull planning, if you have a software that supports pull planning and lean construction, and is built around that process, it's going to be a better implementation of the process because the software helps enforce the process. I've always been really reticent for people that want to acquire software so that they can adopt that software's process. I'm like, you know, you really should work on adopting the process and then using the software to enforce it because software is not a very good trainer. (laughs) You know, like Chick-fil-A doesn't have a ridiculously good learning management system. They have ridiculously good teachers. (laughs) You know, so just just keep that in mind, right? That's one of their, their really the big success points on there. And the, the, and the, look, there are there are talks out there. I, I, we got to talk about OS, you know, the the new construction OS 2.0. Josh, you want to you want to make a side mention on that? Yeah, so Jeff and I attended an event. So I, I spoke at Kurt, the Construction Users Roundtable. It's made up of a group of large owners. It's Intel, it's Microsoft, it's Owens Corning, Procter & Gamble, yeah, Duke Energy, TVA, Tennessee Valley Authority, it's made up of large owners. And they did a massive study uh, recently with Prairie Dog. And in their study, they found that there's 40% waste in just the transactions. I mean, think about this. We talk about process. And the question was just asked, how do you how do you make it better on every job? They, yeah, through this process, think about what happens today. James, you're a mechanical contractor. You're ready and you're going to go work. You go to your local distributor and you buy a stick of cast iron pipe. You may bring that into your shop. It may sit there for two weeks. You then take it and you attach it to something else and you create a prefabricated component. Then it maybe sits in your yard for for a week longer. And then you deliver it to the job site and it's tagged and they locate it and it sits on that job site for a week and then it's installed then somebody signs off on the approval that it has been installed. So, okay, now we can invoice the GC who invoices the owner. The owner invoices the GC. The GC pays, you know, pay when paid. I mean, think about that and all of those invoices, just the amount of sheer waste and how many people have to touch that, pro- how many hands have to touch that. And that's one of the first things they're targeting is they're looking very closely at blockchain. If you look at the operating system 2.0, Rob Fisher from Kurt, who is the their director of innovation, he shared their presentation with me from Prairie Dog. And the first thing they're really looking at is just the handling of money and how can we cut out this process? Because if you look at it, I mean, I, I could start showing screenshots here, but 
how complex the jobs have gotten from 1990 to now and how different the how many different banks are involved and all the different subcontractors because the buildings have gotten more complicated everybody said, well, it takes more time look at it look at it at a VAV versus a VRF system and and look at now all the different electrical components of the building that are so much more complicated and that's what they're trying to do is that as an owner's group they're trying to bring awareness and education and saying listen there's a lot of low-hanging fruit where there's a lot of waste. This operating system 2.0, along with their smart contracts, are, is trying to fundamentally change. And what I love so much about, they talk about this trust tax, right? Trust tax. And we I've referred to it as shared gain, shared pains contract. I love the idea that you're not going to commoditize me. How do I look at and get involved early to look at how I'm going to save you over the life cycle of the building? That's what it's also taking into consideration because so much of the cost is in operating, maintaining that building. It's got a much bigger view as what they're doing with operating system 2.0 and their smart contracts. I'm really, really excited about what Kurt's doing. Yeah, and they're trying to drive this at 41% of total installed costs. They break it down. They have a graph there on their website where it's 1% foreign exchange, 1% rework, 1% interoperability. You know, 2% crime, fraud, counterfeiting, you know, 2% PORFP and bidding. I mean, it's just little things add up, right, Josh? I mean, oh, this, yes. is, this, is, oh, this, is yes. like, this is like the essence of lean. You know, that's why two-second lean is about making two-second lean improvements because little two-second slowdowns add up to minutes, to hours, to hundreds of hours a year, right? It's, it's, it's really amazing. And little 1% here, 1% there adds up to 41%, and you got a narrow margin business. There's a reason it's narrow margin. You, you, can, you can really blow the margins open, which is, which would be amazing, right? Yeah. I mean, that it changes, you know, it can reduce risk and increase margins. Jeff? Well, yeah, it can reduce risk, increase margins and make for happier, more informed owners. I think one of the, one of the things we found out in that, Josh, was just how off we were on understanding owners' positions from the different owner, owner perspectives. I mean, there was this, you know, we were sitting in a room in Dallas with the Dorkathon and, and, having all these discussions. And at the end, that's what prompted the Kurt, you know, meeting was, Hey, who are we missing? And it was like, well, there's not a single owner in here. And, you know, we had some architects, you know, represented who were, who were, you know, they weren't practicing at the time, but at least they had the the input. We didn't have any former owners practicing construction at this point. And, and we sat down and, and there was a lot, I mean, I, I think I've, I've talked about this in, in the COVID times, like what someone's doing with an, with a facility really has an impact on what they're willing to do when it comes to say schedule. Like if they're, if they're not making a drug because the facility's not done, then they might be interested in overtime and other things to get that thing going because it's a wasted space that's not generating income. If it's possibly something that's not going to be filled with people right now because of where we are, there might be an interest in not pushing so hard. But I said that recently to somebody like about the stadiums going up and and I was corrected very quickly on well but if I don't have my CO you know my occupancy for 2 years I can't host the Super Bowl so I got to get this thing open no matter what anyway yeah so what's in it for me and and the operating system itself should be able to open up those things so that in these types of times we can make better decisions because we're all informed and all on the same platform. The other final thing, and I spoke at Kurt two years ago, and you know, shared risk, shared reward, shared pain, shared gains, whatever you want to care, shared risk, shared reward, all of us coming together, we either do this as an industry, like 
if you're a trade contractor, if you're a general contractor, if you don't get on the bus, they're going to force you on or off the bus. And it feels a decision you make yourself feels a heck of a lot better than one someone forces on you. I say get involved now and help them. Pete and those guys, you know, Peter Dumont's on next week. They're so open to information. That was what we found. We we were like, would you guys like to talk to us? And they were like, yes, let's talk. And it was amazing how open and, and you know, they gave us the presentation. Josh, they were like, hey, take it. Talk about it. Let's do this. So, you know, there's but this. There is there's a this- lot of lack of trust, Jeff, with the owners right now. That was the, the kind of smack in the face. We thought we didn't trust each other internally. <laughs> Boy, we burned that bridge with the owners so yeah. many yeah. times that there's a significant lack of trust in the owners and all of us at this point. Well, we, we, we could keep talking about this. Before we resume, I just want to continue the second half of the conversation with Roger Yarrow, CEO of True Look, about their construction cameras. And I'm back with Roger Yarrow, General Manager and Chief Operating Officer of TrueLook. One of the really important things when you're dealing with any type of imaging, you have to have great world-class integrations. I believe you're integrated with Procore, Autodesk, PlanGrid, like these major project management platforms you're integrated out of the gate with, correct? Yep, absolutely. Uh, All of our customers, they use some sort of software to manage their day-to-day and they just wanna be integrated. They want everything in one spot. They don't wanna have to log into multiple tools. We make all that easy for them. We give all them all their data from the camera, and that's right in the platform they use every day. And that way, everybody involved in the project can see what's going on as well. It's not a secret. And speaking of setup, can you walk me through how easy it is to set up TrueLook cameras and use them? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, basically, our cameras come completely turnkey, ready to go, right out of the box. Uh, when powered up, the system will come online automatically and connect via cellular. So um, you'll just see the camera right then and there when it's plugged in. Uh, We make all your current jobs and past jobs all available right there in your dashboard. And uh, everything's easy to hook up, but we also offer full service installation. If you don't have power, we have solar options for every situation as well. Uh, This is what makes our system accessible to all users. Um, We back it all up with the lifetime hardware warranty and a money back guarantee. And then uh, we also give you free forever cloud storage. So you can come back years later and access your data anytime, all at no additional cost. Wow. So how do project managers and other teams in the organization, how do they actually use them? So once the setup's easy, right? They're done with the setup, they're installed, they're recording data, and and maybe they've integrated with Procore, maybe they've integrated with PlanGrid, but but using your portal, like how, how do they get in and actually use and look at these? Sure. So a project manager will log in and they'll be able to see their camera. And the best part about that is they can monitor multiple sites at once. It's going to become a really valuable tool for them. Um, They're going to be able to check in, know what's happening and spot problems before they happen. Uh, It's great for them to coordinate what's happening on the site, direct others and, you know, basically keep an eye on the heartbeat of their job. Roger, if people want more information on your product, where can they go to get it? Just head on over to truelook.com and we'll take care of you from there. And we're going to jump back into the weeds on technology. So I want to—I I wanted to kind of balance this first uh, session out. Again, we're going to—we're going to be back in a month, all four of us together again. We can—we can jump into the. I want to spend some time between both. So let's jump into the weeds on two things: three hundred and sixty and laser. 
laser. All I asked for were sharks with freaking lasers on their foreheads. Are they mutant sea bass? So, we're, so we, have, we had two questions. We had a very specific question. How do, you, how do you manage colossal files like laser scan data using something better than a removable drive that people mail around? Now, here, here's, this is an interesting logistical question, but it's a really good practical question because we're, we're collecting terabytes of data per project now. Not, not gigabytes, terabytes of data per project because videos, photo, 360s. We're going to talk about 360 cameras because we had some questions on that too. We're going to get to 360s as part two of this. Laser scans are massive. Josh, you're probably the most experienced in this area. Jeff and I have probably uh, a good bit of experience on the IT side, having to deal with storage, cloud computing, local storage, et cetera. And Rob, you are the the king of having to take photos on the job site and use mobile apps. So we all have some different angles on this. I'm going to start out on this and just say there are solutions that have a really good hybrid approach. And this is the challenge. If you just use something like Dropbox or OneDrive, it's going to be hard. First off, and I'm an Office 365 guy, I freaking hate OneDrive because it, it sync sucks, okay? It sync sucks, and it cannot manage large files. Dropbox, of, and I've tested all of them, has probably the best sync for big files. That being said, a solution like Ignite that actually ships a device to your local construction job site, puts it in the job site trailer, and allows all the devices locally to sync up with that local drive, and then it syncs to the cloud. So you have a local sync for all your devices and a cloud sync that works so much better for big files. Citrix ShareFile has a very similar type of solution they've offered for years with a local plus off-site sync. If you're still storing and shipping drives, there are much better solutions than that. So because this is IT related, I'm going to toss it to Jeff next, our Iron Man of IT, to kind of see how you solved it as IT director of a construction company. And then we'll go to Josh on, on how you dealt with lasers and Rob on how you dealt with photos 360. So Jeff. Well, you're absolutely right. It's about what you're doing. And you want to talk about hating OneDrive. I am a huge Microsoft fan, but I actually almost got shut down from my service provider last month because of a glitch on a four gig file, albeit a PowerPoint file, but a four gig file that I didn't realize was continually trying to sync in the background and almost put me up over 1.2 terabytes for the month of data usage from Comcast. So that was an interesting one to, to see happen. And, and, and as the files get larger, the problems get get bigger. And so something I want you to hear is you can't, there is no one size fits all. To, to solving your problems. You can solve a lot of your problems with basic sharing and basic file access for your employees. And, and that's, I mean, if you really look at it, it's like 90% of your employees, you can get them covered, right? 80-20 rule, let's say. 80% of your employees, you get covered. Use OneDrive. Funny, I would normally say use Dropbox for business, but Nick Espinosa scared me on that one yesterday and I need to dig deeper. There's something about it I don't know yet. (laughs) Nick will scare you on everything, though. Like, I mean, (laughs) to be fair, (laughs) you won't want to use anything but Palo Alto Networks. And <laughs> like, like, dude, I have a Palo Alto headset now. <laughs> I just walk around with it. Everything I'm connected to has Palio. Yeah, and, and and Brett brings a good point up here. If you process data in the field or on the device, you don't need to move the data. Uh, he, he referenced TreehouseHacker.com. Yeah, and, and look, you're seeing more of this, right? And, and this is the whole premise of Apple, right, Jeff? Like, yeah. like because Ooh. because you know, and you're right. I mean, Dropbox, there are security issues with everything. That everything has security issues. 
iOS put their stake in the sand and they said, we're going to put a machine learning chip right on. We're going to put a chip right on the device and we're going to process everything on your phone and we're not even going to send it to our servers. Well, it wasn't Google who did that first by bringing the algorithm Mm -hmm. down for the ability to do language searches and it not have to have an internet connection. And they took that from like four gigs down to a couple megs so that it could be stored on the phone. And so I think they're pushing each other, which we've always discussed is like awesome because yeah, the ability like, you know, you got respect for perspective, right? A couple of years ago, you wouldn't talk to your phone. Now you get, now you get mad when you talk to her and she's like, I'm having problems with your connection. And you're like, really? Just answer my question. Will you? Um, so, so you can't process yeah, my speech locally. What is wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Well, and that was problem because they went, went the original, the original life, the iPhone originally you could make a voice call. You could say, call Jeff Sample, and it would do it without being connected. And then they rolled Siri out, and then all of a sudden they took the local processing for those off, and you had to have a cloud connection, which was really frustrating because sometimes you have a really slow connection somewhere. You're on the beach. I'm up here at Lake Michigan right now. The internet connectivity sucks about 150 yards that way at the beach. and uh, But it's great right here, but 150 yards is terrible. And so I can't do voice dialing. It, it, it's tough. I want to pause, go to Josh, and talk about laser yeah. scan files specifically. When we talk about laser scan files, what's been your strategy around storing, distributing, sharing those? First, let me say there is an art to the scanning process. You better know what you're doing when you go into it from day one. If you don't have that set up, you're going to create way more points and get a lot more accuracy than you probably need or in the other, go to the other extreme. It depends on how, how your device is set up. It's not getting the accuracy that you need. So it, it all starts with a scan and there really is an art to it. Knowing how to get the, the right location of your scanner, how to set it up, a process that you're not capturing a lot of noise and, and getting it at the right time of the day. There. It, there, there can be so much that you do initially in the initial scan that makes life much, 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 much easier. So it, it does start with a scan, and, and, and I would highly recommend doing your, your companies and, and looking at, at changing some different settings. You need to play around with this yourself and make sure that, that you're, you're meeting expectations. I've had times when I've, I've been, you know, you can also bring it in and clean it up. So you can have it on the, you can use your, your, physical dongle to, to move information locally. You need a good computer, but you can take it into your, your, your laser scanning software solution. And whether it's Leica, whether it's Faro or, or Trimble, you know, you, you go to RealWorks and Trimble, you go to your Faro scene, you go to, to, to Leica, Cloudworks or, or uh, Cyclone, you can clean up a lot there and you can, there's a lot of cleanup that you can do. I have now worked with a couple of different laser scan companies and they have shared files with me in a couple of different ways. Jason with Jason is a uh, one that I've worked with in the past. I've used Resilio. That's R-E-S-I-L-I-O. They've handed some large files there all through us with laser scanning. And I found that worked out pretty well. Of course, they they knew what they were doing. They were cleaning things up. So it really starts with, with the laser scan and how you set up your process to reduce noise. I know a lot of people are moving their laser scans up higher now and they walk under it. So they have a tripod that's tall enough that they can physically move around. There's some great ideas that people are doing to get it right out of the gate. That's awesome. Before I continue our discussion, it's been a great one so far. I want to remind you all that you are listening to JB Knowledge Podcast Network. Rob, what are you doing with pictures, photos? It originally was all about 
your local storage, right? Remember when we had eight gigabyte phones, 16 gigabyte phones? Now, James, you've got 256 probably. Oh, no. 512, baby. Yeah. It's evolved quickly, right? Originally, it was on the device. More now, it's to the storage provider, which I don't think any of the, the storage providers that are offering the 360 photos have limits. I, I don't think it's a storage issue with 360 photos. I think it's more the processing time from what I hear from people out in the field right now of how long it takes to walk a site and either take multiple 360 photos or 360 videos. It's the processing time to get it locally from the site up into the provider in the cloud to share it with the whole team. So I don't think it's the storage. Yeah, let's let's talk about this for a second. These, these topics converge because we had a question from Trevor Baggett. Trevor, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for sending this in beforehand too. Our thoughts on 360 cameras and multiple platforms available for job site documentation as in work complete verification, people in the office to virt- virtually visit the job site. Now, there's a bunch of softwares out there to do this that also solve the file sync issue. <laughs> so mm-hmm. keep, keep, keep in mind, you don't have to, to store the raw data and sync the, the folder, right? If you can get the laser scan, your 360, and we, you know, we, if you listen to us, you know we love 360 cameras because they really shorten the time for doing inspections and walkthroughs. And with tools like Struction Site, you can just leave video walk on and do a video walk in minutes and have the entire job site documented. So there's a lot of really good solutions like Struction Site, like Reconstruct from Manny, Manny Golpavar. Reconstruct is taking lasers and 360s and static images, and they're combining all of them. SmartVid is taking a lot of this data too. So there's, there's these solutions out there that are taking all of the different types of data input. But if you're talking about, and he mentioned construction verification, then if you're talking about laser-based construction verification, then we're talking about what, ClearEdge? I mean, Josh, we're, we're talking about like Kelly Cohn's territory there, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah that's correct. And you know, they, they found that, I thought, God, I think the last study I looked at from them said that like 50% of steel was installed outside of tolerance or something. It was some insane number. You know, you sit with him and that's, that steel, those steel ones scare you with them. If you, oh, if you Watch Kelly, uh, a great watch and a great listen and a great resource. But yeah, those are those are a little bit nuts. Yeah, Josh. Josh, I mean, for me, the one that's really brought this together in the most interesting way has been reconstruct. But I welcome your input on because this is remote construction progress monitoring. It's two D, three D R map. Uh, that's what they call it, and they bring together all of these different data inputs into one unified 4D model. So it's really fascinating. You can generate floor pl- you can generate floor plans from 360 video. You can combine interior and exterior images. You can measure to sub-inch accuracy on 360 images. You can align images and video to 2D floor plans and construction drawings. You, there's there's a lot of interesting stuff. If you're looking at it for like verification, I think ClearEdge is, is one of the best. But Josh, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, ClearEdge is a great solution. SCUR is one of the others. S-K-U-R. Mm-hmm. SCUR is, is another one that, that is a platform that's doing some really interesting things on on pulling it together in workflows. And then again, I mean, you think about Reconstruct. It's It's got your drone tie-ins. I mean, so much is happening there. You've got it. All of these solutions are, are make it more... It, it, there's so many different ways you can use it with the workflow standpoints and using that laser scan and, and using that drone footage and, and photographs and using it in so many more ways. I mean, at one point in time, it was just, hey, we were using it to staying right in Pharaoh, staying right in some of these other tools. But now there's there's a lot of easier workflow solutions and we can look at productivity. We can look at progress. We can look at accuracy. I love what ClearEdge is doing. Yeah. And they've got an interesting, you know, they 
they bought BIM Trace 2017. Yep. They have this thing called Verity Photo. It's a field focus yep. construction verification tool that aligns photos of the site with the 3D coordinated model in Navis. So you do some really cool stuff there. Like so, yeah. Faro has something new too, James. Dang, it's it's skipping my brain right now. But there is Faro has a workflow like this now that is similar to. Uh, to clear edge and scur and what they're doing so they do have that workflow now right inside of pharaoh yeah so you gotta look at clear edge has made a bunch of acquisitions they bought paracept out of college station with you know there's they they did the collaboration with uh, verity geoslam then clear edge got acquired by topcon and then they announced a partnership with rhythm and then they have their verity hair on integration for real-time mobile mapping and construction verification and then they launched verity photo so there's been a lot of action over there so I would definitely, for the you know, for Travis and everybody else that has questions around this, look at Clear Edge. But on 360, you got to look. These worlds are colliding because the 360 cameras are getting so high res, and you know they're getting they're so cheap, they're like two or three hundred dollars, and they're really high resolution. They can get down to you know centimeter accuracy, Josh. That the the laser and the photo worlds are colliding, and people are starting to use both of them. I think personally, because of the the cost difference between photo and laser, that that photo as the resolution goes up, will drive laser to a more and more niched use utilization, if that makes sense. Because there's so many things now you can do with photos in 360s that you that you used to only be able to do with lasers. And so I think there's a there's a there's an interesting play there. Uh, Rob, you've been following the app market for a long time. You've tried a bunch of these 360 mobile apps. You, you got to be impressed with what's going on there, huh? That's very amazing what what they're doing. I think what I want to know from Trevor to dive into his question more is if he's asking and. Do we think 360 photos are a good option for remote monitoring of job sites? Yes. Are you asking about using 360 photos for job site documentation for work complete? That's a slippery slope because, yeah, you can take one 360 photo in a room instead of six traditional photos, but a human still has to go look at it and verify that it's there. Now, what I'm really getting at, a, a couple of weeks back, I had a discussion with somebody about using this technology to verify work is installed on site. Versus Josh, it's installed on site exactly in the right place. That's two very different things. And the technology right now, I think, lets us know that, yes, you installed some duct on site, you installed drywall. There's not many things that actually show you, yes, it's installed precisely in the right place for that digital twin. So I'm curious what Trevor's really looking for when we say work complete. Well, there's a lot of ways to verify work complete. But if it's in the right place, if it's been commissioned you know, that's where IC Tracker has some things going on. There's a few other things that use BIM versus the construction site. That's the Pure 360 where a human for right now is still having to verify, yes, that is installed and that's correct. I don't, I'd be curious, what is what is the definition he's looking for for work complete verification? Yeah. I think there's still two very different worlds. Yeah, Build It is the Faro solution. They've got their as yep. built, but their Build It is what their verification, their verification for QAQC checking. And when you're talking about these, Rob, you're talking about looking down the road too. to Trevor's you know, question. You got to look down the road to pick which one you're going to do because it's all about where they're headed, right? You know, you've got certain ones that are headed for just that job site capture replay type deal that James has talked about for a while. And then there's those ones like Struction Site with, what do they call their new one? Oh, I had it a second ago, but they're basically doing AI on your percent completes as you build, as you build forward. And so if, if that's where you're headed, you know, if you're in that trade and you're looking for progress monitoring, but, but true percent complete smart track through it, 
smart track they've got smart track running well then they're the one to hit your wagon to like it really it really matters what you want to do in the end and where you want to go because i think a lot of them came in and look like the same thing to us but if you really look at it it's not it's it they're divergent and they're going to head in different directions that's why i think most of them are going to make it. I, you never say all because all never really happens, but, but most will make it. And in fact, some of them will be scooped up and brought into other things as we've started to see happen already, which is a totally different subject. And it looks like Trevor put it in. Documentation would be a for sure thing. I understand a human would need to verify it. The accuracy would be a different story. We would still have our on-site QAQC team verify accuracy. So it sounds like he's talking about, you know, staying close to your job, but staying socially distant. (laughs) Awesome. Which, by the way, 360s are totally great for. And they are. And James, you hit this before. Like, I'll tell you what, a laser scanner scared me the first time I saw it. I still like pause for a second before I walk up to it, but I'll like throw my 360 camera around in circles and spin it to see what the hell it does. So <laughs> the barrier of entry there too. So if you're not doing one, start there and you may end up feeling real cool about a laser later on. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, you're still gonna be a little careful with your camera, but not yeah, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do twirling with my 360 camera. Let's go ahead and move on to another topic because we had some really good good other ones asked and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and talk about let's go ahead and broach the subject there was an open letter about Revit and I I think we saw it and and look the architectural the architects newspaper sorry archpaper.com did a report on this three days ago the title leading architecture firms pin open letter to Autodesk over rising costs and sluggish development and and so this this is our final topic of the day. I thought we would wrap with this and Autodesk. Interestingly, because this was a, a bunch of a bunch of firms signed on to this twenty two million worth in recurring revenue is what it it came down to was that what that group represented. Yeah, so it was a group of twenty five, largely United Kingdom headquartered architecture firms: Grimshaw, mm-hmm. Zaha Hadid, who you definitely recognize, Wilkinson Iyer, Rogers, Stick Harbor Partners. So they all signed on to this. Autodesk responded. <laughs> they replied publicly to the open letter. Bim to the bone. This is all about Bim. This is all about Revit. What are your thoughts on this? Listen, uh, I am uh, of the mindset that the fact that it's still an on-premise software is, is shocking to me. The fact that it, it can't take advantage of unlimited cores from a multi-threaded standpoint, I'm shocked in 2020 that we're there. I mean, Revit is, is was built on an older technology, and I know they're offloading a number of things to the cloud and, and to the online platforms and what they're doing. But I, I agree. Revit is the tool that our industry is building on. It, it is, the, it, it is the, the, the standard. And it's what I tell my electrical contractors to use. But when I look at the amount of content that's in there that, that's usable for a trade contractor, I know Autodesk doesn't want to touch the content. They're letting other people do that. I, I love them as a company, but I, I do agree that it, it's there's a lot of frustrating things. Those of us that have, have been working with Revit and use it on jobs, you know, we, we've just come to learn workarounds, plain and simple. We've learned how to do workarounds, and there's certain ways some people are better than others, and we share ideas and. If you're if you're not on Twitter and you're not paying attention to Aaron Mahler and and some of these others that are out there, you're not doing yourself a, a, a true service. But you'll hear from them that some of the best Revit minds out there in the industry are very frustrated. And, and it, it's it's time for it to be cloud based. It's it's time for you know we're paying a SaaS model. Is what everyone feels like they're doing now. But are we truly using a SaaS tool in Revit? And I'm just 
being honest. So it's, yeah. uh, I know a lot of us are very frustrated and there, there's a lot that could, there's a lot left to be desired with, with it. Yeah, in the letter, they said, most practices think the platform is not meeting current industry requirements. <clears throat> Autodesk has tabled a variety of initiatives for the next generation of tools to replace rubber, but failed to prioritize investment, failed to communicate the roadmap for delivery. Cost increases on existing software portfolios continue, but little value is added. I mean, they got very specific with Autodesk on their frustrations around computing the future, the application itself, pricing of the software, this is a very well-organized and well-thought-out set of arguments that are pretty hard to argue with. And and it was interesting because Autodesk basically conceded that, right? They did. Well, they did. It, I mean, if you go back and look at where we are, guys, in Revit and sharing files, we've really just gotten there where the workflows are easier to work in the same file in just the last three versions, just the last three or four versions that it's made it easy for us to share. And then they've changed the way that they've used it collaboration for Revit, gone. I mean, it was there and then it was gone. Now it's a new workflow. Then it, it's just evolved so many times and it, it's, uh, yeah, it's frustrating. Jeff? See, I want to come from the other angle though. I, I There's a couple words that I've been using pre-show that I can't use right now that I want to use. I think this was a bad move on their part. I think what Andrew did with replying to it was good and conceding that there is problems. There's problems with every software. This did not need to be a public lambasting of them. This could have been private. This group of people has enough money, enough talent, and enough things to go after to really help improve the product, to come together with people like Aaron and, you know, Miles Davis and others, other people like that who are truly progressive. But you're talking Jeff, about they've it. been doing it for years. They've been talking about an architectural years. group no. that won't listen to other people either, though. And and um, yeah, you can call them out on the platform, put your money where your mouth is and go somewhere else. Double down and try. Yeah, but they have they, I mean, they have such a I huge know, but they have such a huge that. investment in Autodesk tooling. And I guarantee you they're on customer councils. I guarantee you that they have regular visits with their execs. I guarantee you that they go to AU. I, I, I guarantee you they guarantee, brought all this up. I, well, I know I've seen them there. They've too, spent but a I mean, fortune. They've spent a fortune on consulting. They've spent, they have, Jeff, I can tell you for a fact that they have, they have invested a massive amount beyond just the software to get their teams up to speed and learning. It's, yeah, they, they, yeah. So, sometimes when you've exhausted all options, and I, I certainly learned this in politics, sometimes when you exhaust all options, a public letter is the only route you can go because it applies public pressure and shines light on a dark corner. And so, I, you know, there there are there are a lot of ways I'm sure they have voiced frustrations over the years, and that I, I imagine they felt cornered into doing this because you know nobody has a desire to wage a public war. Although, although but, if y'all didn't Brett see, Brett brings it up that Autodesk's biggest uh, motivator, their stock's going up. Yeah, so people are still using it. People are still investing, and I'm not saying the product doesn't have problems. Like. I sit and listen to Aaron all the time on Twitter and I actually ask him questions about what he's struggling with and what they're trying to do to get around it. And yeah, I do want the I do want the platform to change a little bit and to evolve. There's all those things Josh that are wrong with it too, but for me it was just I, I didn't like how it was and uh, and and you guys can you can argue with me there, but I'm not going to change my opinion on that. <laughs> um, it's true, I'm not. And, That's fine. and I think I think there's options for you to go other ways, try other things, do other stuff. 
you know, but also you're talking about the architectural world, right? This is a group that's been real hard to get to change and to get to to make moves that we've wanted them to make. So, you know, talk to people trying to sell them new tools to cut down on the processes that they need to do so they can they can have that time and and they back away from those and treat those guys like they're trying to take their 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 lunch from them. So, yeah. It, James, it, when they reach out to Kara, make sure you give them Jeff's email and let them reach out to Jeff and say all the things that they've done to try to make <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it's uh <laughs> I'm not saying they have. They'll tell you the story, and then we'll have a. You know, we'll see if you change your tune after you listen to the thing. Yeah, well, it's okay. Look, I, I like point counterpoint. I don't it, because it, it 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 is what it is. I mean, there's probably all situations. There's two. There's really three sides. One side, the other side. What actually happens somewhere in the middle, and uh, that's that's tough. Speaking of public feuds. And Brett, thank you for bringing up the the Autodesk letter. And Jeff had found it, and we were going to talk about that one. So the last one, did anybody read Armand Gukasian's post on LinkedIn? Did y'all see? This just, yeah, this just happened. And I don't know what to think, but he just, he just waged, (laughs) he, he just, he just opened the Gatlin guns (laughs) on Christian Prue. And I I don't know what to think. Y'all y'all need to go check this out. Just go look at his LinkedIn feed. He he said that he kind of he didn't he basically penned an open letter about his frustrations with a, a competitor of theirs out of Canada that has you know he made some claims about and it got ugly really fast. And I and I mean this this went downhill quickly. So this is maybe in the area of a little contact gossip, although it's really not gossip when it's <laughs> when it's literally out in the open and they're having a feud on LinkedIn. Could we? Can we? They're having a feud, but can we talk about something too? By the way, that that LinkedIn is going to their algorithm, the way it's working right now, is going to push that to the forefront because it's actually really truly engaged. There's not a lot of links. There's not a lot. So this thing's going to get way repetitive. Like. It's going to be in everybody's feed because it was right at the top of my feed when you said that, James. I flipped over and yeah. there, and I'm like, "Oh, the algorithm's going to make this thing." Yeah, crazy. yeah, um, you got to you got to check it because they basically they tagged each other in their responses. So Christian and Armand, and and here his his this was a post from one day ago. It says we usually don't pay attention on actions of BIMTrack and specifically. Their their practices. I'm not going to read the whole thing because this is his words. Uh, you just need to go read. This is a feud between Armand Gukasian at Revisto and Bemtrack. Pretty pretty interesting forum to have this type of dispute. It's all about issue tracking, comparison documents, marketing literature. I will say one thing though on on this because it happened to me recently with something and and yeah. be honest in what you guys are doing and taking someone else down never helps anybody. In this. Yeah already low digitization environment that we're in in construction, the last thing we need to be doing is beating up on each other. Fighting for market space, and and this came from something Sasha and I talked about. Fighting for market space is fair, but stay fair, stay honest, go for what you do well, stay in that respect, and stay out of the trash talking of one another as much as you can because it really doesn't help anybody. And also realize that like we all need the industry to continue to be profitable so that we can profit from them and with them and alongside of them. So yeah. uh, I warn all of them, somebody put the sword away. Yeah, this well, at least publicly, because this creates a lot of noise with your customers on social media. <laughs> that can it, it it can be tough. That is really the time we have here. We we do need to wrap up and I appreciate our attendees live on the web. We're gonna do this every month. 
for the next few months this year. I know we couldn't do the road show, but we're going to be with you live, ask, answer your questions. Uh, the questions we didn't get to, we're going to kick to next month. I'll just give, give everybody a couple minutes for a closeout thoughts and comments. Josh. Yeah, I enjoy doing this, everyone. I, I hope the listeners enjoyed this. I, I think a lot of times it's just it's good to have a, a discussion and, and go away from the norm. So I personally like this, and I hope uh, the listeners like it as well. Awesome. Jeff? I want to say thanks for, for doing this and for everybody showing up and asking questions and being a part of this. And I know there's some we didn't get to on data mapping and a couple other things that I actually have resources for. So I'm already dying for the next one. I appreciate all you guys, and I miss every single one of you. I wish we could be seeing you, but seeing you here is a great place to see it. Rob? Good conversation. It's good to see you guys and talk. And uh, everybody just remember, in a weird year, think about things you can do to improve yourself, your companies. Or, I mean, really take a look at the processes because, James, we've talked for years about, oh, I don't have time to slow down. Well, now you do. So how will you come out of this and be better going forward? So. Really, take time and everybody stay well. And to everybody out there, uh, thank you for tuning in today to geek out with us, uh, to hang out on this episode of the Contact Crew podcast. It has been episode 229, our interview uh, with each other, our discussion with the crew. To read all of our news stories, learn more about apps, workflows, and hardware, subscribe to our newsletter at jbknowledge.com. To subscribe to the podcast, text CONTACT to 66866. A big thanks to Jim Greenley, our podcast producer, Kara Daltonaro, our creative producer, our ad coordinator, Tish Delenn. To listen to this show, go to the show website at thecontactcrew.com. This is The Content Crew signing out. Until next time, enjoy the ride and geek out.